Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. It's 11.07. All right, keep my eye on that clock. And we're going to... um, Get into uh, Ephesians. And I have a really fun scripture today. I love this scripture. It's a promise. Uh, God is so faithful to keep his promises. How many have found God to be faithful to keep his promises? Let me ask you something. How many have ever been through a really bad hardship, trial, crisis, health crisis, or something like that in the past? Anybody? A lot of you. Did God get you through it? That's the good news of the faithfulness of God. And what we're going through now, he's going to get us through this. Amen. Ephesians chapter 320, an amazing scripture. I love this scripture. It, it speaks so loudly and in so many, uh, so many incredible ways. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Everybody say all generations. Are we in all generation? We are in all generation, aren't we? Absolutely. Forever and ever. Amen. Beyond what we ask or think, and that word think in the Greek means to actually imagine. And I think in these times, we especially need to turn our imagination over to the Lord. I like what Paul John Jackson said. He said that the, uh, the revelator in the, in the spirit is right next to the imaginator in our soul. It's an amazing thing because we have been gifted with imagination. If you don't believe that, just look at children. Children have incredible imaginations. I think children are the closest thing to heaven that we have on earth. It's like they just came right from heaven, right down. You pick up a little baby, brand new born baby, and you look at that baby, and you can feel the presence of the Lord on that child because all, every single one of us were created in God's image. And I've picked up my grandchildren, all my grandchildren right after they're born, and I'm holding them, and they're just the most adorable, cute, wonderful love baskets. And it's just like you just feel the love vibrating off of them, and you connect with them in that realm of love. And I believe children have such vivid imaginations, and that they, they do so because they're that they're so close to the presence of the Lord that there's creativity flowing out of them all the time. And I believe the same thing is true. I believe it's why Jesus said, we must become like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I believe that's one of the areas he's talking about, is utilizing our imagination. See, when we believe that God is able to go beyond what we can imagine, or what we can ask. The possibilities are endless. The impossibilities are met with the possibilities of God's solution. And this is a time we live in right now. We're, we're living in a time where everyone is saying it's impossible. All right. So we're going to have fun today with the message. I feel like this is a really important word for this time. And I feel like the Lord has got so much. It's, as I've said in this entire series, this is part number 12 of this series. I've said in this entire series, if we only had the book of Ephesians to live off in our life, we could easily do it in this one book. But thankfully, we have an entire book, and we get to love it and enjoy it. And it's living, and it speaks to us, and it ministers to us in every situation at all times. So... Uh, I think to gain revelation from heaven, to gain revelation from the Lord, we need to turn our imaginations over to him. And we need to trust that he is in us. He is our hope of glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we need to trust that he's going to lead us through every situation, every trial, and every difficulty that we might find ourselves in. Here we go. Every natural crisis contains enough energy to cause our imagination to be stirred into fear and worry. I'll say that again because it's really important. Every crisis, whether it's a health crisis, 
whether it's a, a family crisis, whether it's a relationship crisis, whatever the crisis might be, uh, it could be a drought, a world famine, it could be the earth catching on fire, every crisis, it, it involves everything spread out. It contains enough energy for our imaginations to turn it into worry, dread, fear, and have a horrible outcome. All sorts of dreaded outcomes can be thought up. But when we see the place of hope, we can peer into hope that always abides in us, and we can imagine a better outcome. Did you catch that? We can imagine. We have the ability, because we're created in God's image, to imagine a better outcome. We are people who are created in the image of God, and we have the ability to create situations and turn trials, turmoils, and crises into a solution. Are you guys with me? I'll tell you what. This, if you really take this message to heart, your post on Facebook might be a lot different than what I've been seeing. <laughs> so might mine, actually. Oh, well, we won't go there. That's uh, <clears throat> okay. But when we see the place of hope, when we, when we go from the place of hope, when we really believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of glory and he is in us, he is actually going to steer our hearts and direct our paths towards his revelation, towards solutions for every crisis that we find ourselves in. How many are open for that? I'm open for that. Are you kidding me? Wow. I believe imaginations are very important to our faith. As a matter of fact, I believe faith is very close to imagination. You think about this for a minute. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. So it's something before you even see it, before you even have it, you're imagining it already to get it. Does that make sense? I'm not saying faith is imagination. I'm saying it's very close to imagination. And I'm saying our imagination can assist our faith. What I'm, saying, what I'm trying to say is that our natural imagination can work together with heaven's faith to create a better outcome. Wow, I feel like I could quit right now, but I have to keep going because I've, I've been told to extend it a little bit today. Very rarely does anyone say extend your message because we're running behind. But today is the day. Okay. And to be certain, I want to be very clear in this. God is not limited by and to our imagination. You understand? Thank God for that, because some of us are still imagining horrible things. If he was limited to our imagination, that's what we'd get. But his grace is bigger than that. It goes beyond what we can hope. It goes beyond what we can see. His grace is sufficient for every situation. Boy, now I'm on such a preaching roll today. I'm coming up with one-liners. I feel like I'd start, start talking Southern here because I feel like that, that, you know, Bible Belt thing's coming on me here. You know what I mean? Bless my heart. Thank you, sister. The Lord is good. All the time you're supposed to say, come on, you people. Get with it today. With a renewed mind, now this is the second part of what the imagination does in a crisis. It can turn it into a horrible outcome, fearful dread, even to the place of it's the end of the world, all things are coming to an end. Run for the hills, find a cave, and hide. That's one part of this that the imagination can do. But with a renewed mind, every natural crisis contains a miracle to be imagined. I think I'll say that again. With the renewed mind, every natural crisis contains a miracle that can happen. Man. This side over here, you guys are a little quiet. Over here on this side over here. Dylan, help them out, will you? Just. <laughs> if we can imagine that God can give us better, better outcomes during a crisis, our focus will change from fearful to an expectation of God's deliverance. That's why this message, I feel this message in particular, is a highlight for each of us in this day. 
Now, I feel like there's going to be not just encouragement, but there's going to be power that comes with this message. This is not, this is not something that is like, if you do this, then this will happen. This is something that gives you the freedom to be able to imagine a better outcome in this situation. And with that, imagining a better outcome, release faith so that things change. And you, you guys all know a nation can be changed in a day. I don't know about you, but there was a progression in my life to get saved. But I sat down, dedicated my life to the Lord, and I felt instantly, within a second, I felt the presence of God come in that room. I had been absent from feeling His presence. I felt the presence of God come in that room, and I knew that He had met me, and I knew I had been delivered, and I knew I had been set free, and I knew I was a different person. It just took place in a second. Those who call upon the Lord will be saved. And that is the hope that we have for every government leader that's in this earth today. That all it takes is a second for a person to change. They can be the most awful person alive. They can have evil spewing out of their eyes, face, fingers, mouth. You see everything but horns. You hear everything but horns. They can be awful people. But in a second, in a second, they can be redeemed. They can be set free from the demons they've been listening to. And they can be changed and start acting according to the revelation of heaven. If it can happen to you, it can happen to me. I know some of you were like the devil before you got saved. Aren't you glad you got saved? Don't you wish everybody was? Oh, gee, I'm really on a roll today. Wow. I, I'm got, I, I, have to, I have to realize that Proverbs, that just, Daryl, calm down, be, be silent, and you'll come across as wise. Take this thing to the extent you're going to say things you're going to regret later on, but I can't help it. I'm excited. I love the goodness of God. I love his presence. I love the fact that he's faithful in every single day. For every single generation. I love the fact that once in a while he steps on our toes. Then he takes us in his loving arms and holds us and says, it's going to be okay. You'll heal. Joseph was the second in command in Egypt. Now listen to this. Because he's in prison for the wrong reason. He was innocent, but he was thrown into prison. He comes before Pharaoh, and he hears a dream that Pharaoh cannot get interpreted. He actually tells Pharaoh his dream, interprets Pharaoh's dream, and instead of saying, Pharaoh, you're in trouble. This is the judgment of God upon you for worshiping the sun god, Ra, for believing that you're in God, this is God's judgment. This is what Joseph could have said. He didn't. But he could have said, this is a judgment of God released on the, the world. There's going to be a famine for seven years, and it's a judgment of God coming to the, to the earth. Get yourself ready. Find a cave. Hide. There's no escaping this. It's going to happen. Now, he could have painted that kind of a picture with his imagination. But what does Joseph do? He imagines that there's going to be a good outcome from this. It's amazing the creativity that's in Joseph, how, he's, how he is so plugged in to the nature of heaven, so plugged into the nature of a good God, that when he hears this horrific dream of cows eating cows and skinny cows and terrible corn stalks, when he hears this dream, he's immediately plugged in, oh, this is good. Whoa, man, God is telling us what is going to happen, and here's his plan to get ready for it. Amazing. Let me tell you, you think some government leaders are evil today? These pharaohs were bad dudes, man. They weren't nice and flowery people. They had power. They knew they had power. They're like emperors. They worshiped as God. Anything they said and did was if God himself was speaking. At any time, Joseph knows as he's standing there, 
revealing this dream, he could be told to be snuffed out and his life is over. But instead, he imagines a good outcome in the midst of a horrific crisis. So he reveals this plan to Pharaoh, and what's Pharaoh do? Pharaoh puts him in charge of making sure the plan gets enacted and making sure that it stays on course. Do you know why he didn't put one of his other officials in charge? Because they were elite. He probably thought they were going to rob for their own benefit and for their own greed. But he knew Joseph wouldn't, and so he put Joseph in charge. Another pharaoh comes on the scene after this pharaoh, didn't know Joseph. And he's got the children of Israel growing in his land. They are, the population of Israel is increasing greater than the population of the Egyptians. And he's getting concerned, this pharaoh, he's worried. He's he's beginning to think, these guys are stronger than we are. They're getting stronger than we are ourselves. And if If we get invaded by another country, they might turn on us because we've kept them in slavery here, and they might turn on us and fight with our enemies, and we'll get defeated. So this Pharaoh makes a decree that every male child born to an Israelite woman would be slaughtered and thrown into the river. I don't know about you folks, but that's a crisis. That's a horrible crisis. That's a horrific crisis. That's mothers faced with having to throw their baby sons into a river. And I often wondered, why the sons? He let the daughters, he killed the sons, but let the daughters live. It's a very interesting thing, unless you understand a a mind that is so corrupted with evil that he's got got an ultimate, ulterior plan going on here where the women, the the girls, are going to be a way for them to outbreed so that the Egyptian males will be breeding with the Israeli females and eliminating the entire race. Evil plan, if that indeed was his plan. It's my imagination going crazy with that scripture saying, why else would he let the girls live when he's got slaves and strong men that would be able to lift these bricks and blocks and do all the stuff that's necessary to build? Why kill, that? Why kill them off? I, I can only think of one reason, and that's the reason I explain. I don't know about that. There's no history to support that theory of mine. I have, I have no, like... I've read every single commentary and this is what they said. I'm letting my imagination go with that. You understand? I'm not saying this is a reality. I'm just saying that it could have been. And that's the power of our imagination. We read things in Scripture. I, and I don't know about you guys, but I like reading books. I like reading books about, like, I don't know, what do you call them, Novels? Like where you're reading a novel about something, a true event that happened. Is that a novel? Help me out. Novel is a fictional. What is it? A biography. So you're reading a biography about an event that actually happened. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting all kinds of teachers rising up in the crowd today. So you're reading, you're reading this book, and, and it's something that's giving a... a it's like watching a movie. You're adding to the story. All right, I can get off of this. Pull back, Daryl, pull back. Okay, I will. All right. Pharaoh watches the people of promise begin to overpopulate Egypt. He puts his plan to kill the children. I can't imagine the grieving hearts, the, the, awful, the awful horrific thing of losing a child is enough. But to lose all the children, all your family's children, all your friends' children, to have them all slaughtered off in one sweep. I can't imagine the crisis that was going on in that land. 
And we know the story. One mother puts her boy in a basket, sends him down the Nile, and the princess finds him, pulls him aside. His name is Moses. And Moses watched all this horrific stuff taking place in Israel. And God raises him up. Something in Moses. He can't get past his DNA. He can't get past his heritage. Every cell in his body is screaming, this family of mine is being treated wrong. And he rises up and becomes the vessel that God uses to deliver the children of Israel. Eventually, after all the plagues, I'm going very quick in this story. Eventually, after all the plagues, we all know the story. They, Pharaoh, lets Israel go. They plundered Egypt, bringing all the gold with them. They, they plundered silver and gold and all that stuff, and they're leaving. They're making an exodus out of Egypt. <laughs> the estimates are that there are two million of them. That's the estimate, approximately two million Israelites that are leaving Egypt all at one time. That in itself creates a, a crisis. They go to the edge of the Red Sea, it parts, they go across, and then they're in the valley of the shadow of death. They're in a desert that can kill them. And there they are in the desert, and they start getting hungry, they start starving, they start complaining. They start blaming Moses, they start blaming God, they start blaming the whole thing. Should have left us in Egypt to die, at least we had, you know, stews and leeks and onions that we could eat. And they forgot all about how they are mistreated. They only remember the good parts. And what's God do for them? He provides manna. Now, manna was more than just a bread. You have to understand, two million people in a, in a desert, they need nutrition. They need something that's going to sustain their bodies. Our bodies need certain things. We cannot live on just bread and water. It needs nutrients. God provides them manna, this special flake that came with the dew every morning. And when the dew raised, there were these flakes like snowflakes sitting on the ground. And they were allowed a certain amount to collect a certain amount and only a certain amount for each family member. And they lived off of that for 40 years, every single day. Now, this is so cool because this is God taking a crisis and turning, turning it into a blessing. They don't just get manna, they get quail at night. Every evening, quail fly into the camp. I don't, have any of you ever had quail? No, you guys have not lived. Quail's amazing. It tastes better than chicken. Quail comes into the camp. Later on, in this desert experience, this desert that could have killed them, could have, it's a crisis. Two million people in a desert, children, mothers, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers in a desert. In the heat of a desert. And these are the miracles that God provided. Manna, quail, water from the rock. A battle with an enemy. When Moses held up his staff, they were victorious. As soon as his arms got weighted down, Israel would start to lose. He struggled to lift up his staff. And finally, a couple of guys come along, hold his arms up, and Israel completely Defeats the enemy. That's a miracle. Cloud by day, fire by night. The glory of the Lord shining on Moses so much they had to put a veil on his face because they couldn't look at him. And these were all building blocks for Israel that in the desert, in the middle of a crisis, God was able to meet them and give them miracles. They had testimony after testimony after testimony of God's provision right in the midst of a crisis. Then it goes into the promised land. They go moving into the promised land, and then you've got the judges, and you've got the kings, and you've got the prophets, and they're all facing various trials and crises, and you can look at the history, and God is always showing up, providing a solution. 
No matter the crisis, no matter what the issue is, God shows up and he's bringing a solution to mark these people. These are his people. I love them. I've got promised promises to them. I've promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these are the people that have my promise resting on them. And they go through horrific things. They've got a terrible history. But each and every situation, God's hand is upon them. And his hand's upon them to show, to give them the testimony, God is with us. He's our provider. He's going to take care of us, no matter what situation. And that is their crisis. More recent days, we've had other other things that uh, Israel has gone through where God is still faithful to his promise to these people. Now, fast forward to the birth of Jesus. Amazing. Herod hears from wise men that a king of the Jews is born. He hears this news, and what's he do? He decrees that all the children under the age of two, all the Israel children under the age of two be slaughtered. Wow, what is it with these rulers that want to kill babies? I don't get that. That's something really bad, isn't it? An angel appears to Joseph and Mary in a dream, says, take him to Egypt. Now, I find this so amazing. Angel appears to them in a dream and warns them about what Herod's going to do. Says, take Jesus into Egypt. Jesus goes into Egypt, the very place where a pharaoh thousands of years before was slaughtering infants. Jesus goes into Egypt as an infant, as if to restore and as if to renew their history. He's staying there, living in Egypt. Does that make sense to you guys? Are you following this? I feel like this is part of the redemptive plan of God. That he, Jesus the Messiah is not just coming for a particular race, but he's coming for the entire world to restore what they had lost. He's going into Egypt, and he's in Egypt to restore, to renew, and to redeem their history. I find that cool. As Jesus grows, guess what? He imagined... Healing and deliverance. (laughs) I know this sounds so weird to say imagine. He had the faith for healing and deliverance. He imagined a better condition for humanity than what he saw. Do you understand what we're saying here? There is a need for us to envision a better conclusion than what we're seeing in our time. This is something that we are capable of, and we are responsible for. We have been given so much, you guys. We've been seated in heavenly places. We have the wisdom and the revelation of heaven packed inside of us. But, but it's like this, this step on a toe thing. You know what I mean? It's like, why do we get caught up in a crisis like this And start looking for enemies that we can assault with our words, with our Facebook posts. I know there's a political thing going on. I got that. I know there's there's corruption going on. I got all that. But look, we're above this stuff. We have an imagination that we can create a better outcome than what we're creating and what we're seeing created. That's what I believe is so powerful about this scripture. That God is able to do abundantly more, abundantly more than what we ask or imagine. He's able to look from his place like he did when he heard Israel suffering in Egypt for 400 years, and he's able to look and say, it's time for a breakthrough. It's time for deliverance. Beyond what we can imagine, If we can imagine it, we've fallen short of what he's able to do. John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know what John the Baptist was doing? He was imagining a world without sin. Now, I want you to catch this. He's imagining a world without sin. We need more Baptists that think like that. Instead instead of, not just picking on the Baptist, I'm sorry, doggone it, why do I get myself in these holes? 
not just Baptist. I love Baptist people. I love Catholic people. I love, I love independent people, non-denominational people, the charismatics. Uh, it's just, we're all in this together, you guys. You, you understand? But we have, we have just entrapped ourselves in this earthly, worldly mindset that needs an enemy so that we can feel better about ourselves. We got Christians on all spectrums saying, walking around saying, I'm a sinner just saved by grace. I'm still a sinner, though. That's why I make so many doggone stupid mistakes. I'm just all messed up in sin. We got that stuff going on. John the Baptist looks at Jesus. He's imagining a world without sin. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not just covers the sins. They had sacrifices for that. There was a covering for the sin, but there was no one that could take away the sin. Until John the Baptist, a prophet, prophesies, he is the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Which to me tells us we need to imagine a world without sin. Oh, I know you're looking at me like I got four heads on right now, some of you. It's like, listen, this is the reality of what this scripture means. He's able to do beyond what we can imagine. John was really imagining like God was. I'm sending my son. He's going to take away the sin of the whole earth. Do you think God was a liar? I don't think so. I think his plan was enacted. I think he was, an imagine, he was imagining a world without sin, imagining a world where there'd be, uh, there'd be healing, imagining a world where there would be uh, deliverance, imagining a world where there'd be no more war, no more sickness, no more disease. Which is why Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you can find sin in heaven, you're doing real good. It ain't going to be there. On earth as it is in heaven. He tells his disciples, pray that way. Was it just wishful thinking? Was he just like, hey, guys, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you like a... Imagine this. No, he is showing them a principle of the kingdom of heaven. He's showing them, unless you become like a child, unless your imagination can get stirred into what God has seen for the earth, you're missing the kingdom. I I think we all need some grace in this, really. Okay? I'm not, this is not a, Point finger at anybody. I'm not here to, you know, we check shame at the door in that song. I'm not here to reintroduce it on anybody. I'm just saying we can all use grace in this area. We all need to have this grace and this power to walk in this day to where we're not plugged into the world system of accusation, shame, guilt, naming names, dropping names like, like crazy and, and attaching labels onto people who are stuck in the same stinking crisis and they're without answers. At least we have answers. We have Jesus. And believe me, he is able to abundantly go beyond what we ask or imagine and provide a miracle for our day. It only takes a second. This is the plan of Jesus. He walks around humanity, he heals all the sick, casts out all their demons. Cleans out the temple, raises the dead, teaches things. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 teaches things that go against all the human emotional mind games that we play. Pray for your enemy and pray for those who despitefully use you. What? What? I want to be mad at my enemy. I want to find them, diagnose them, and judge them as judge and jury. Right? That's the human way. That's the natural way. That's the earthly way. But that's not the way the kingdom of heaven operates. Kingdom of heaven says you got someone that's giving you a hard time, pray for them. I sat down and prayed for someone this week. First time I prayed for them in a long time. 
Seriously. I won't tell you who it is. I'm not going to get into that. But it's the first time I prayed for them in a long time. And I just started into the prayer, and it was a struggle to get there. I'm being, I'm being vulnerable. I'm being honest right here. It was a struggle to even want to pray for this individual. I'm sitting in the quiet of my living room, in my chair, and I'm struggling to pray for someone who I haven't prayed for. And as I'm sitting there, I realize, God, I need your help. I don't, this isn't coming naturally to me to pray for this individual. I need your help. I need your grace right now. I'm talking to the Lord and I'm telling him, Lord, I need help to pray for this person because you said pray for them. They're despitefully using me and I'm told to pray for them. I'm having a hard time praying for this person. I was honest with God. You know what? Immediately he fills me with peace and grace and I continued the prayer and when I was done with the prayer, I felt really great. I felt like I jumped over a wall and took on 10,000 and caused them to take flight. That's God's plan for us. Nowhere will you see the Lord tell you and give you permission to assault another human being with your words. No matter how much they drive you crazy, nowhere, but you'll find just the opposite. Pray for them. Because God knows how much we all need him. Amen? These are all testimonies of miracles, okay? These are all, you know, tell me, the paralytic who comes up, he gets forgiven of his sin, he gets a double miracle. Forgiven of his sin and raised up from his bed to walk out of that room. All testimonies that in a crisis, whether it's a a personal crisis, whether it's a relational crisis, whatever the crisis might be, the crisis that we're facing in this world right now with governments and with all the other stuff that you know know well about because you're in it with us. All of these crises, the plan of the Lord is for us to imagine a better outcome than what we're being told is going to happen. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been, this thing with the virus and stuff, ever since it broke out back, uh, what, a year and a half ago, we were making declarations against this thing, go away, we don't want you here, you don't belong here. And we continue to make those declarations. This virus is not... From God, it is not of God. I don't believe God is punishing the world with this virus to show us blah, 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 okay? It is basically a crisis, like a famine. And we need to be like Joseph and seek the kingdom of heaven to find solutions that produce a better outcome. Even if it's just a better outcome within our own souls and within our own minds, Even if the outcome brings peace to us and we just say, you know what? God's in control. He's got this thing. It's okay. I'm going to trust him. I wrote a post yesterday that God is not, or science is not my God. Has never been, is not, and never will be my God that I serve and obey. It's not to disrule science. Science has its place, but it is not God. Nothing takes his place. The commandment of have no other gods before me still stands into place. So we have a God before us who has given us certain ways in which we can triumph and live in our culture, in our society. And each of us has an obligation to hear him and serve him the way he shows us and leads us. Oh, I know I'm unplugging. I, I feel like I'm unplugging some things right now. And I feel like there, there could be some of you could be struggling with this. You don't want to let go of being angry. Just be angry. You don't sin. That's all. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. 
I'm not saying don't be angry. There's plenty of stuff to get angry about. I can't even listen to the news because I get angry if I listen to five minutes of it. That's a personal thing in me. That doesn't mean the news is something you shouldn't listen to. (laughs) It just means I don't want to listen to it. Testimonies, these miracles, testimony after testimony, miracle after miracle. God shows up in the midst of a crisis, whether a personal crisis, whether it be a society crisis, whether it be a worldwide crisis. He shows up. He produces change. That's the God we serve. John summed all this stuff up like this in John 21. He says, This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. I'm not concluding my message. Don't get excited, Bob. I was just saying... What, what the book says right here. Amen. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> That's our testimony, believers. Every crisis can be miraculously invaded by the God of miracles. Every crisis has the potential for us to imagine a better outcome. And you, because you carry Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, you have a power in you to release that power on the earth to produce change. I don't believe we have to be slaves to anything. We're free people. We're free men. I believe we have the power inside to make decisions, to make our choices, and to believe that God is going to bring us through. And there's going to be a better outcome when it's all said and done. For years, I walked, for years, since, since 1978, when I got rededicated my life to the Lord, and I sat down, I started pouring through the Gospels, and I started reading about the miracles that Jesus performed, and I started seeing that he did more performing of miracles than he did actual teaching, that he was actually teaching his disciples by performing miracles. This is how the kingdom operates. This is the power of God. This is what you are to learn. That's why Peter could walk down the road and his shadow could heal people because he got it. He picked up on what Jesus was teaching about healing and about deliverance and about freedom and about changing humanity's situation, reversing bad situations, making them good. The disciples got it. They carried it. It wasn't just because they were special people. Are you kidding me? Give me a break. They were fishermen, common people, but they caught what Jesus was showing and what he was teaching, and they said, this is our plan now. And I love that because we get to do the same thing. So while we wait in their expectation of God to break through in this time, God to break through miracles, I'm doing really good. I'm getting ready to wrap up. How many are hungry? How many give me five more minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. I tell you, I got a lot, a lot of time left over here today. Thank you, folks. Okay, no. <clears throat> in this day and in this time, let's just let our imagination envision God stepping in and providing a better solution for this crisis that we find ourselves in. There are solutions. There are ways through and beyond where the goodness of God shows up. There are. We get to tap into that because we know him. So while we wait in expectation, there are instructions that we can allow the Lord to direct our steps. And I love these instructions because they they start off in Ephesians chapter 4, which brings us to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm just going to read these verses not going to do a lot of commentary on them because they pretty much explain themselves. Walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. You know what that word bearing means in the Greek? Put up. That's what it means. Put up with one another. 
My wife is good at putting up with me. Thank God, 40 years of marriage, she has put up with me for a long time. We put up with each other in love because that's how love works. Love overlooks wrong. It's patient. It's kind. It understands. It's not selfish. It's not proud. It's not boastful. It doesn't do things only for its own gain. Love is good. Always good. Well, I love people, but they just need the hard truth. No, they need love. They need love above the truth. Let me tell you what we've done in Christianity, and I'm saying Christianity in general. What we've done in Christianity is we've made Jesus into a theology because it's easier to have a theology than a relationship. It's easier to have a, okay, this is what I believe, than to follow in a relationship, to have to wait and listen for an answer. It's easier just to assume we already have it. And make a theology out of that. I'm not against theology, trust me, I'm not. I'm not saying there's something wrong with theology, I'm not. It has its place. But it should never take the place of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wow. Bear with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Unity of the Spirit This is like imagining a better outcome. Look, all it takes is for us to, oh, I'm getting drunk on the Lord right now. Oh, Jesus, that was amazing. What a drink. Oh, I just got some, I just got some heavenly juice right there. Wow. Unity of the Spirit. In the bond of peace. Not in the bond of division. Not in the bond of accusation. Not in the bond of finger pointing. Not in the bond of gossip. Not in the bond of rumor. Not in the God. Not in the bond of God. Not in the bond. (laughs) Not in the bond of division. Not in the, the, the bond that says you're right and everybody else is wrong going to hell. Not in that bond. In peace. Endeavoring to keep unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen. You guys. Trust in the Lord and expect a better outcome in this crisis. Man, I'm telling you, it's the only way to live. It's the only way to live right now. If you, if you even just listen to the news headlines, it's going to give you an overwhelming sinking feeling. And I'm just telling you, our God is bigger, our God is greater, and he can reverse this thing in a day. Worldwide, it can be over in a day. I imagine a world without sickness. I imagine a world without war. I imagine a world without hate. I imagine people who walk in love and walk in unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, as opposed to those who are constantly wanting to divide and conquer. The simple truth is a house divided against itself cannot stand. And we need to unite together in a bond of peace and trust in the goodness of God. Can you all stand together? Father, I want to thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, that you are faithful, that you are the God of miracles, that 
Every situation contains a miracle. Every crisis, every crisis can contain a miracle within it. We imagine right now, God, a world without COVID. We imagine a world without war. We imagine peace in Afghanistan. We sign up with your agenda and your plan as John the Baptist, who was a prophet, prophesied of you, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We sign up with the revelation that Paul wrote that sin is not our master, but grace is the power that overcame the law of sin and death. We sign up with your plan, Lord. We say yes to your plan and yes to your idea. And we speak that to the world. We speak right now that there would come a miracle. That a miracle would come. It's happened before. It can happen again. I'm just going to say in closing something my father-in-law told me years ago, and it just it shocked me. He was a young boy when the seven-day seven war took place in Israel, and he was watching the news. And as the news was unfolding, this is, I believe, in 1967. As the news, I think, I'm not sure on that date, but it was recent, 1967, 1965, somewhere in that time frame, okay? Seven-day war with Israel. And as he's watching the news He said, all of a sudden, the enemy dropped their weapons, jumped out of their tanks, and fled from Israel's army. Seven days. The war only lasted seven days. And he said when he saw that, he he was raised in an atheistic household. This is my father-in-law. And when he saw that as a young boy, he said, from that moment, I knew there was a God. I rest my case. We're going to have fun today. You guys have a good meal. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org.